The title of this sermon is going to be Worm. You say, how do you come up with a word like worm? Well, you'll see as we progress along. But our text is Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 21. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 21. Now, I'm going to be turning to other passages of scriptures uh, today. So, you know, in your bulletin, you get this uh, little blank sheet that says sermon notes. And so you may want to write down some of the passages or, or and follow and go to the passages that we cover uh, as we progress in this message this morning. Our text, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 21. Keep this mind in mind about Proverbs. So often you read about the Proverbs 31 woman, you know, and and many Mother's Day sermons are preached on the Proverbs 31 woman. But let's just kind of step back for a moment and think about the Proverbs 31 woman as we go through this message today and think of her as a type of the church being the bride of Christ. And so then you see in this person many things that should be true in the local church. Many things that ought to be true in the life of a believer. And if we'll see it as the bride of Christ, then you'll see her children as those brought to Christ and her husband setteth in the gate, our Lord high exalted, and and he praises her. And so... Just an idea there as we get started in here. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, shall we pray? Fathers, we delve into your word this morning. And I say it's your word, not mine. Just help me to rightly divide it. But more than that, I ask the Spirit of God would be the power that's in my voice that would hold everyone's attention, whether it's on the Internet or radio or right here in the auditorium. And that the very Spirit of God would not only hold their attention, but use that attention to take the message home to the heart. If there's one today that is without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today be the very day they receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's one who has wandered far from you, may today be the day to come home to Jesus. And we'd ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. When we look at that uh, verse that we've just read there, that her household uh, are all in scarlet. That word scarlet, uh, many commentators have said, means double garments. By that, they mean the clothes are well lined for her family. And so therefore, she doesn't have to worry about her family because uh, there is snow out there. But these are well lined clothes. And so therefore, many commentators believe that that means double garments. I started to study this word many years ago and just say, well, why would he say that uh, in this particular passage? The word scarlet, uh, the Hebrew word that was used for it, should I say, was really, uh, and no, only about five or six other places in the Old Testament. So there's not a whole lot of use of the word. 
But never was it translated double garments, as many try to say what means double garments. It was never in any other place translated that way. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even say contextually. At least here contextually, you can say what well, might mean double garments because of the snow. The other places you can't use it. So it made me wonder why would they use that word to translate it here. The clothing, yes, it is associated with the snow. But have you ever thought about the snow? What kind of clothing material would there be? Well, in that day, there were sheep everywhere. Okay. We even read in the Bible about it was a time for shearing. They would shear the sheep. And so the clothes were probably made of wool. They had an abundance of sheep. And, and so they would shear, and that oftentimes would be used for clothing. But why use the word scarlet? Scarlet comes from a word that was the Hebrew word tola. A lot of you guys, you go fishing, if you're going to fish in fresh water and you're just trying to catch something a little there, you might get you a tola. It meant worm. Okay, that's what a tola was. It was a worm. And so we see here uh, that it uses the word uh, scarlet. The scarlet was brought about. What they would do is that they would get as many, they'd dig up, find all these worms, and they would crush them to produce a rich red dye in which they would use it to uh, dye these garments. And uh, it was an unusual thing. It took a lot of work to do this, but the Orientals really admired this red dyed wool. But it took some time to make it that way. Uh, the one who took the time to make this type of a garment from a uh, from the wool of a sheep, what they had to do is they had to many times weave the wool themselves. It was a lot of work, and that's why you read in Proverbs 31, she rises up uh, early while it's still dark. And so here's a person that's dedicated to hard work because of the love that she had for her family. And it's the love that we ought to have for the souls of men to bring them to Jesus Christ. And so here's a person that has woven the wool, and then the worms are crushed. And that dye, that redness is used to dye the wool. But then she would have to weave that into clothes that would fit her household. These clothes were clothes that most people couldn't afford. As a matter of fact, it was this, when you saw the red clothing of, of wool, fit for the winter, fit for the storms that would come, this this person, it, they were well-to-do. Usually, if they were well-to-do, it meant they bought it, they had people they paid to make these clothes. Not everybody could take the wool, weave it, and then make it into clothing. It was a lot of work. You have a lot of kids, you don't have time to do that, would be the thought. And so they would work uh, and use cheaper clothing for the 
day of winter instead of what was best, they would take what would do. And and so usually if you saw somebody walking around in that, you'd say, oh, they're well to do. The clothes were not just weaved. They were weaved to fit. Now, the mother that is able to do this and work so hard did not have modern equipment. Now, they had equipment, but it wasn't modern equipment for weaving. But they did have equipment to do that. It was a special treasure. Having this wool, and you'll notice that if she makes this, she's not a worrywart sitting at home biting her fingernails because she's not afraid of the snow. She knows. She knows. She's assured that they are saved. She's thankful for it, and they are thankful that they're wrapped up in this protecting wool. That makes them safe. That's why you'll read in verses 27 and 28, she looketh well to her household, uh, to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children raise, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. In other words, she's not doing just enough to get by. She's not just buying clothes and finding clothes and saying, okay, this will fit, that'll fit. Uh, all right, you, you're fine, go on. No, they're looking for the best. This is her household, and she is making it with her hands. Her husband... He provided the sheep. You might say, the father provided the lamb. So the lamb is provided, but he not only provides the lamb, he shears it. That's why when you read in Isaiah chapter 53 about the lamb of God, he's a lamb who before shears is as a dumb and openeth not his mouth. And then you get down to verse 10 of Isaiah 53. And it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God the Father bruised his own son for us. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He gathered the worms. Now, some of you guys, if you go fishing and you take your wife, you take your little girl along with you, and, and you start pulling worms out, they'll say, Ugh, Daddy, can you put that on the hook for me? And, and, and so they, they, they really are a little bit afraid to touch that worm. But you take those worms out and you know that the worms are necessary to catch the fish. In this case, the worms were necessary to dye the wool. So he had to get out there and dig and find and then crush them so that all that was crushed out of them could be used as a dye. Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. But you know what? When we think of worms, we don't really think of you know, I've got a pet worm. We don't think we don't think of a oh man, watch my worm do tricks. 
No, we, nothing good that we think about a worm except that it catches fish. Uh, if you see worms in your house, you want that house fumigated. But you see, those worms that made the red dye represents our sin that was placed on Jesus Christ. And the wool of the Lamb of God was used to clothe us and to protect us from the storms of eternal damnation from hell. And so it's important that you wrap up in the the robes of his righteousness. Yes, he provided this for her, but then she would uh, weave the wool and, and, and dye it with the dye that was provided and make the clothing that would fit each one. You see, as a local church, we have a responsibility, just as that lady is the bride of Christ, to go out and find souls to wrap them in that red wool garment of salvation. Jesus saves, but we take his saving gospel, the lamb that he provided. We take the lamb and the shed blood of the lamb, and we tell them of it, and they can be safe from the storm of eternity in an eternal lake of fire. That's what he did for us. And that's what he'll do for any who will come to him in repentance and faith. Please turn to Psalms chapter 22 and verse 6, because I want to further expand on this. Psalms chapter 22, as a matter of fact, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. Psalms is the book just before Proverbs, okay? So Psalms chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, I want you to see this. In Psalms chapter 22, beginning with verse 3, Psalms 22 was written 1,000 years before the cross. He says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And all holy God, who hates sin, who cannot look on iniquity, that even when it was my sin, but it was on His only begotten Son, who became sin for us, when He saw my sin, His attitude about sin didn't change, even though it was on His only begotten Son. And all holy God loves us, but He hates sin. And so, he sent his son to die for our sins. What a great God that we have. But he inhabits praise. So praise the Lord in your prayer. Praise the Lord in your speech. Praise the Lord in your daily actions. And then verse 4, he says, Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They fully trusted. And oh, holy God, they fully trusted because he is God. And they knew that God could deliver them regardless of the circumstances that he would deliver them because they cannot deliver themselves. You know, trust is that. Trust is also faith that knows God will do well. You know that when he wants you to do something, he leads you to do something. But all the circumstances that you know that he's leading you to do seem to be, no, 
All these circumstances say no. And you talk to godly people and they say, no, those circumstances don't do that. But you've been reading the word and you've been in God's word and those circumstances are there. But the Lord says, I want you to go. Trust me. Go. Trust me. Do this. Trust me. But circumstances say no, Lord. Trust me. Now, what I want you to understand is that real courage is not a blind ignorance. Real courage is acting upon the word of God and as his Holy Ghost leads you as a result of that word. And even though the circumstances are there, you'll find that he makes the difference. He'll make a great difference. You simply trust in him. Verse 5 says, they cried unto thee and were delivered. And they trusted in thee and were not confounded. You see, our very lives should be a testimony to the world. Oh, that was an old drug addict. He can't get saved. Oh, that was an old drunkard. He can't be saved. Oh, that was an old harlot. She can't be saved. Oh, that was an old this. That was an old that. But God can save us, can't he? Should I just go to this thing? I think we're all right now. Okay. Uh, quit walking around. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. <laughs> but when you're led of the Holy Spirit, the circumstances don't matter. I mean, Israel's surrounded. They've got about 2,000 people inside the walls. And they're surrounded by a great, the world's best army of 185,000 soldiers. It is impossible by the circumstances for man to do anything. That's when God acts. He does what we can't do. Now, if you can do something, he, he's going to let you do it. But what you can't do, he will do. And so you act upon his word and you trust him. Yes, they cried and he delivered. Man cannot save himself. So man needs to call upon the Lord, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't trust your good works or your good ways to save your soul. It will not happen. You must trust in the Lord. Now look at the next verse, verse 6. He says, but I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. And this is beginning through the rest of Psalms 22, as I said earlier, written a thousand years before the cross to describe the cross to us. Our guide, one of the guides I had in, in Israel, who did not believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh, and he told me that when I witnessed to him, but he said, for anybody to deny that this is not the cross and this is not Jesus is a fool. He says that's exactly what that's talking about. He just wouldn't believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Which means he's still not saved. But here, when he speaks out, this is Jesus Christ speaking. And he says, I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. We know by the story of the cross, the world considered him a no man. 
the, uh, the world considered him a worm. Something not to be desired. And yet that's exactly what the world was itself. We were to be condemned. Just go ahead and turn this one off because that thing's getting back and we'll just stay right here, okay? He was to be condemned. Man, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But that gift was purchased at the cross where he had to be treated as a worm. The Lamb of God. Soaked with the blood, the righteous blood of Christ to be the payment of our penalty. Oh yes, they condemned him to the cross. He was highly reproached. They mocked him. They spat upon him. But a worm? Jesus said, I am a worm. I am a worm. I'm not going to change subjects on you, but I want you to see something else about a worm in Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 through 13. That's the first book of the New Testament. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 through 13, I want you to see something else. Because again, it's Jesus talking. And in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 11 through 13, it says, And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. See, that man appears thinking, I'm all right. I'm fine. But verse 13 says, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness, what do we compare that with? The eternal lake of fire. One day, there will be a rapture. One day, there will even be a judgment of nations. And people will think that I've made it, I'm all right, I deserve to go, and they'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. You see, the way I'm accepted, Ephesians 1, 6 tells us very plainly, I am accepted in the Beloved. I'm accepted in Christ, that not of myself, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of Christ. That's the only way I can be accepted. That's the only way anyone can be accepted. It will never, 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 never be your works. It's only through Jesus Christ. Well, when we get raptured up to heaven, guess what? There's a marriage feast of the Lamb. Oh, there'll be a judgment seat of Christ for the Christian. But then the marriage feast of the Lamb. And I think of Matthew seven twenty two of people that thought they were going to be there. 
Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. I deserve to be in heaven, in other words. I mean, I actually preach in Jesus' name. You know what? The Lord doesn't deny that he did. I, I cast out devils. The Lord doesn't deny that he did. I've done many wonderful works. The Lord doesn't deny that. But he says, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Wow. He never knew him. Why? Because he was not clothed. The garment was not the wool of the Lamb of God dyed in the red blood of Jesus Christ. Obviously, the bride of Christ had someone in its midst that was a pretender. And the Lord said there would always be tares among the wheat. Now we see it come together as one in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And there we say, says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That mind was not about himself, but rather that mind was for us. The Savior of the world, God, who existed in eternity past. The creator. All things were made by him, the Bible says of Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. But he came regardless of what angels thought. He came regardless of what man on earth thought. If man wants to think that he's a worm... He still loves them, and God loves them, that he would give his only begotten son. And so he humbles himself for us. One of the most profound scriptures found in the word of God is Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, yet just like we are. Christ died for us. That's a huge penalty, but it's a loving payment that he made for us. That's the mind we need to have in us as a church, witnessing the gospel to a lost and dying world. He goes on to verse 6, who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And he says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. You don't confess a church. You confess the Lord, almighty, Jesus, human, 100% God, 100% man. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so verse 7 says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, of men, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death 
of the cross. Can you see it now? Almighty God in heaven. God is a spirit. But God became a man. But as low as that was for him just to become a man. Jesus on the cross says no. Man thinks of me as a worm. In the sight of man. He is a worm. But in the sight of man, we should see him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One day, robed in his righteousness, we'll live forever in that heavenly home. Provided by the one who went to prepare a place for us. So that he can come back for us. That one who died for me and you. Man considered him a worm. But I have an eternal heavenly home that man doesn't have. The man that dies without Christ, the worms feast on his body. Day and night, forever and ever. That's not the worm that was on the cross because Jesus was not a worm. Man just thought of him as a worm. But the real worms will be in that eternal lake of fire where they never cease to exist. They never are able to pass out of existence. They are never able to escape. And because he did this for us, therefore, wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The world crucified him, and just thought of him no more. But without him dropping so low to humble himself, for man to consider him a worm. Prevents man from receiving the salvation from the worms. Mark chapter 9, 48 and 49, where their worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. And by the way, yes, hell will be an eternal lake of fire. And men will have a body that will not disintegrate, will not pass away, but will fill what a body like ours would feel in pain of a fire. For every one shall be salted with salt, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. It says, meaning that the pain of hell will be like salt poured on a freshly opened wound. As the worms feast upon that body. When we could have escaped those worms, For the one man called a worm, who is actually the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. What a shame. But yet, what love. Isn't it interesting? 1 John chapter 4 tells us God is love, and that's true. But we also find out that the first time 
the word love or any form of the word of love is used in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 where Abraham is told to take his only son, his only beloved son. And the first time love is used is of, of a father towards his son. In Matthew, with the same being repeated in the book of Mark and the book of Luke, what they call the synoptic gospels. But in each of those, the first mention of the word love of the New Testament, the father says, as he looks down from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Abraham was to offer a son and he thought that he would die. But God had a replacement. But for the son, there was no replacement. But he died for me. He died for you. Why would I be ashamed to tell others about someone who loved me that much? Who could have delivered himself? Could have called 12 legions of angels? Why would I be ashamed to witness the gospel to a lost and dying world? Why would I be ashamed to invite someone to at least come and hear the gospel? Why would I be ashamed to give a track that explains the way of salvation? But on the other hand, why would I play, if I'm not sure if I die today, that heaven's my home? Why would I play Russian roulette with my soul and be the feast of worms throughout all eternity? Conscious but never able to cease, never able to escape when salvation was so simple, yet with a great price. He became as a worm that he might ransom our soul. Let's bow our heads, please.